Good morning, Thrive. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane, and along with Reagan Gilliland, who is another one of our associate pastors, we get to co-pastor this worship community that we call Thrive, and we are so glad that you have joined us this morning. Uh, We hope that if this is your first time joining us, we hope that you love it as well, and if nothing else, we hope that you understand our mission statement at Lover's Lane is loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that's communicated both in word and action this morning. Let us know that you're with us, be sure to say hey in the chat on Facebook or on YouTube or on our website stream. Uh, and if you are on our website, also fill out one of those connection forms. Let us know that you're joining us. If you are not yet receiving communication from us and would like to, that's the way that you can get on our uh, email list and, and understand what's happening in the life of the church. So um, it is a joy to be with you today as we continue to live into this Easter season. Hey, Rick. Hey, Jenny. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Julie. And good morning, Pastor. Pastor Sarah, Lindsay, uh, glad that y'all could be with us this morning. We are in this Easter season, and we are continuing in our sermon series called Become the Gospel. Easter is more than just a Sunday. It's a whole season in the Christian calendar. In this Easter season, we're asking ourselves, how do we move our faith out of our heads where we're simply thinking about Jesus, and how do we begin to live out what it means to follow Christ? How do we begin to live out these things like forgiveness? Or this week, we're talking about finding peace and stillness, and and not peace and stillness in the easy sense, not when we get to go to a week-long silent retreat or when we're sitting on a beach and have no cares in the world. How do we find peace and stillness in the midst of life's storms? Let's talk about that this morning. So, yeah, my fancy tie. Thank you, Rick. This is my, uh, it's my face mask, but uh, all of our staff are here. Those of us who are here, I should say, our skeleton crew are maintaining our social distancing and also wearing uh, protective face coverings to keep each other safe this morning. Um, I want to start by sharing with you a quote that I have long loved. And it comes to us in the year 1928 from a man named John A. Shedd. He was an American professor, and he published a collection of sayings titled, Salt from My Attic. Amongst the aphorisms was a particularly pithy statement that should set the tone for today, I think. He said this, a ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. These were words written 90 years ago in between two world wars, moments before the Great Depression, and in fact, in the last year of Professor Shedd's life. Surely he had every reason to value safety in 1928. Today, we find ourselves in the midst of COVID-19 and Two hospitals on the coasts, or hospitals on both coasts overwhelmed, Uh, an economy in turbulence, unemployment skyrocketing, oil prices collapsing, a possible power vacuum in North Korea, and oh yeah, remember that election that we thought was going to be the big news of 2020? Now normally when a preacher like me preaches on Jesus calming the storm, My job would be to help pull you into the boat, to paint a picture of what life in stormy chaos feels like. But I don't think I need to do that this morning, do I? I don't think I need to tell you what it feels like to live life in the midst of chaos. Do you wish that we could all just get back in the harbor 
back to life as we once knew it? Have you begun to forget what the harbor even feels like? With that in mind, with with Professor Shedd's words ringing in our ears and knowing that we all feel like we are in a ship trapped in chaos, I'm sure, Let's read this morning our gospel text, which comes to us from the gospel of Mark. It's a, it's a story that is actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we're going to read the Mark version this morning of Jesus calming the storm. Uh, this is a story that translates into th- those three gospels. It's also a story that resonates with every single people and culture in Jesus' time, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I want you to hear the story that maybe you've heard before, but I want us to listen to it with new ears and and see it with new eyes as you see the text on your screen now. It says this, On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go to the other side. He's talking about to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke up, and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace! Be still. And then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea Obey him. The word of God for the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. Good morning. Oh, I see uh, Cassidy. Hey, Cassidy, good morning to you. Uh, (laughs) Jenny says a new fashion trend. The mask to tie transition combo. Thank you very much for that. Hey, Heath. Um, This is a story that resonates in in, in my soul, and it's one that I've been pouring over this week, and and there's a few things I want to share with you this morning. The first thing that I want to talk about this morning is this. Let's talk about the storm and the fear, because the storm and the fear around the storm and in the hearts of the disciples, I mean, this is centerpiece in this story, and we've got to talk about this fear and this storm. There's a reason why this miracle is shared in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a reason why it's a story that would have resonated with every people, every tribe, every culture living in Jesus' day. There's a reason why this miracle is so important, because if you were alive back then, you knew that open waters, deep waters, oceans and seas, these were the homes of the monsters and the creatures, and the evil gods that sought to undo and destroy everything good. There's a reason why in the Old Testament, God's Spirit hovers over the waters in creation, and God's power separates water from land. There's a reason why God leads Moses' people through the waters of the Red Sea into safety. There's a reason why Jonah is asleep in a boat and, and is swallowed up by a great creature of the deep, and God commands all these things and controls these things. It's because if you could be in charge of the waters, if you could control the depths of the 
seas, the things that lurk deep down below, then you were the most powerful thing people could possibly imagine. Waters, open waters, deep waters, and storms on waters were things to be feared. That was a fear that everybody understood all too well. It's a fear we understand today. Ask anybody who lives near a large open body of water if a big body of water and a storm means danger for them. I've got family in South Mississippi who know that big bodies of water and big storms mean danger. Fear is a natural response to big storms over big bodies of water. I don't think that Jesus is trying to teach us to just avoid or ignore our fear. If the storm isn't something that makes us scared, then the power of the miracle is robbed, right? We should be terrified of the storm, and that's why Jesus' power is so mighty and so impressive and why people took note. I think Jesus is calling us to something more than simply avoiding or ignoring our fear. I hear Jesus calling us to transcend our fear through faith. He's not asking, why are you afraid? He's asking, Why are you not more faithful than you're afraid? You know, there's a lot of people who've said something like what I'm about to say, but I love the way that Brene Brown puts it. Um, She's a famous psychologist and author and speaker, and she says this on the subject of fear. She says, we are all afraid. We're all afraid. We just have to get to the point where we understand it doesn't mean we can't also be brave. I'm going to say that again because it's really good. There's a reason why I love this quote. We are all afraid, everybody. We're all afraid of something. We just have to get to the point where we understand it doesn't mean we can't also be brave. That sounds like the gospel message to me. Brene Brown's words sound like the gospel message because as I read Mark chapter 4, I hear that the message of the gospel is not that the storm isn't real, Jesus isn't rebuking the disciples for believing the storm is real. And, and, you know, I notice today a lot of us want to believe that the storms we're facing aren't real. There's a lot of storm denial happening right now in our culture. The message of the gospel is not that the storm is not real. The message of the gospel is that God's power in Christ is greater. That's the power of the gospel. It's not that we don't need to be afraid. It's that we can be brave in the face of our fear. We can be faithful in the face of our fear. Now, I hope that what I've just said has not inspired you to turn this truth into a weapon so you can point your finger at all the people you think are being afraid and acting out of fear when they should transcend it with faith. That's not what we need to be doing right now. I know that's a temptation that a lot of us have. Oh, I know who you're thinking of. Oh, those people are acting out of fear right now. I wish they would just act out of faith instead. The harder and more important work is for us to allow Christ to ask us, what are you afraid of? What is it that you are trying to avoid? What fear are you trying to ignore and failing to do so? Or what has you trembling in your boat? Allow Christ to do the hard work on your own self so that then we can live in the midst of storms and not be people trembling in fear. I see a lot of folks are pumped that I've referenced Brene Brown. Yes, we love Brene in our house. Um, Let Christ ask you the hard questions. And then we ask ourselves, how can we hear God's power is greater than the storm that we're facing Because if we miss out on the power of God in the midst of the storm, we're missing out on something tremendous in our walk with Jesus. And I want to say a word about that now. 
Now, I appreciate Mark's uh, honesty and humanizing the disciples in his gospel. If you read the gospel of Mark, Mark's disciples set a very low bar as to what it means to walk with Jesus because they so frequently misunderstand who Jesus is and the power that Jesus possesses. They they ask this really natural and human question in this story that I love because it's the kind of question that I would ask. I can totally see myself in this story. When they run down into the ship and they wake up Jesus and say, don't you care that we're dying? How many times have I yelled those words either with my mouth or with my heart? How many times have I yelled those words at God in a season that challenged me or a season that I found painful? Don't you care? Don't you care that I'm hurting, that I'm dying? And yet it's also a question that I think ought to give us pause. Because it reveals to us that the disciples are missing out on a critical component of who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. I want to tell a story about John Wesley to illustrate this point. John Wesley was the founder of Methodism, and he was a young Anglican priest along with his brother Charles back on October 17, 1735. When they set sail, they were on a ship that was sailing from England all the way down to Savannah, Georgia, where they were going to be evangelists and share the good news with the new world at that time. So they're on this four-month-long journey across the Atlantic Ocean, and this terrible storm comes up around them. And while John and Charles are huddled together and crying, a group of Moravians, and another sect of Christians, a group of Moravians, they see them calmly singing hymns and praying. John was so taken aback by their personal faith that, that he realized something in that moment that would take him on a journey many years later. He would end up in Georgia, and he and his brother failed as church planters, and they went back to England, and and that's where John would find his way into a Moravian worship community where, where he felt his heart strangely warmed, he said. For the very first time, he came to understand the personal relationship and experience with Jesus in a profound way. It moved from his head into the rest of his life, this faith in Christ. But it was on that ship, in that storm, seeing Moravians praying and singing calmly that he realized something was missing in his faith. And he wrote this in his journal. He said, it was then on that ship that I realized that mine, hear this, was a dry land, fair weather faith. Mm. It was then that I realized that mine was a dry land, fair weather faith. Those words cut through me this week as I thought about how often I cling to a dry land, fair weather faith. Does that sound like you too? Now, having a dry land, fair weather faith is a dangerous thing for us too. You might think that's where you're safe, right? Let's go back to the harbor. But a dry land, fair weather faith is a dangerous thing too, not because of where it takes us but because of where it doesn't. I love the way the story begins where Jesus says, it's time for us to go to the other side. He's talking about to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And I think about what if the disciples had turned around in the midst of the storm? What if they took a U-turn and said, we're heading back to harbor. We're heading back to safety. We're heading back to dry land and fair weather. What would they have missed on the other side? The miracles and the healings. 
the crucifixion, the last supper, the empty tomb, the resurrection itself. Think about all they would have missed if they had been unwilling to get to the other side of the storm. I think about for myself, what are all the things in life that I've missed out on because I have clung to a dry, weather, dry land, fair weather faith? What are all the things I could miss out on moving forward if I don't realize that a dry land, fair weather faith is going to take me nowhere? And instead, I need to be willing to risk with my Savior. I need to be willing to set sail even into stormy seas. What is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee for me or for you or for those whom you love? So as we venture into the sea and if we're, we say, okay, sign me up, I'm ready to go into the storm, the way we survive the storm best is by finding the same peace and stillness that Jesus possesses and expresses over the storm and over his disciples as well. How can we find that kind of peace and stillness in our lives, even in the midst of life's great storms. Now, there's something I've learned in the last few weeks that I'm sure many of us have realized as well. I've learned this about myself. I can be stuck in one place and yet still trapped in chaos. Has that been true for you? I can be stuck in one place and still trapped in chaos. Stillness Still, like literally physically being still does not, or finding stillness does not always mean being physically still, right? I have not moved. I have been physically still a whole lot in these last several weeks. We all have. I'd say as a people, we are more still today than we have been in a very, very, very long time. And yet, would we say that we are a people at peace? Have we found stillness in our souls simply by not moving I think for most of us, the answer is no. Friends, stillness and peace are not the opposite of movement. They are the opposite of chaos. That's an important distinction because I don't always find peace and stillness in sitting and being quiet. Those things don't always bring me peace and stillness. Sometimes I find peace and stillness in the symphony hall or around a big dinner table with table talk of friends or in a dance party with my four-year-old daughter. Jesus doesn't cry out to us, peace, be still, so that we'll all become faithful monks who never speak or never laugh. He's calling out, when he cries out, peace, be still, he's not just saying that to the storm, to the wind and the waves, he's saying that, he's calling out the part of us so easily commanded by chaos. It's the false self, that false voice that says to us, this is the storm, This is the moment. See the wave. Feel the violent wind. This is the time when everything you know and love ends. He tells that voice. Jesus calls out that voice, that false self, that lie. Be quiet. Peace. Be still. Because there's something greater commanding not only the wind and the waves, my friends. There's something greater commanding us. If you hear nothing else this week, hear this. Finding peace is not about eliminating chaos. I can't wave a magic wand 
and make the storms go away. We can't imagine ourselves in a better place and all of a sudden everything gets fixed. Finding peace is not about eliminating chaos. It is about listening less to chaos and listening more to God. It's about listening less to chaos and listening more to God. So that even in the midst of life's storms, even when the waves are crashing over us, even when the violent wind promises to knock us over and break our masts, we can listen to God's voice and find peace and stillness in knowing that this storm will not be the end of us because we know there's an empty tomb on the other side. So quiet, peace, be still. Let the one who commands the winds and the waves command your heart and your mind and your soul as well. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the gift of this connection online. God, we give you thanks for the gift of your peace and your stillness in the midst of our storms. God, as a people, we are so prone to listen to chaos. We fall into the easy trap of thinking that this wind, this wave, this storm will be the end. And we forget that we have a God of resurrection in the boat with us. God, could you call our attention to what lies on the other side of the storm? The miracles we may witness. The truths we could see. The challenges that we'll undoubtedly face. But the life and the hope and the resurrection that you've promised us and all peoples. We give you thanks for your peace, O oh God. We give you thanks for the stillness in the storm. All this we pray in the name of the one who commands the winds and the waves and our own spirits. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.